Welcome back to the Cattle Menu Podcast. I'm Caroline Rose, the founder and CEO of K Rose Company and Cattle Menu. Thank you for joining us on this episode. I'm excited to bring you these conversations each week filled with relatable advice and techniques you can take back to your operation. It's my mission to make sure that we can ranch in the next generation. Make sure and subscribe where you're listening so you never miss a new episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Cattle Podcast. I am joined by Kennedy today. Thank you so much for being here. Oh my gosh, thanks for thinking of me and having me on. Of course. Why don't we just start with you giving us a little bit of background about you and how you're involved in the agriculture industry? Heck yeah. So like Caroline said, I am a Kennedy Younger and I'm a registered dietitian in central Minnesota. Um, I was not born into agriculture. My dad grew up on a dairy farm and it was like, you know, a threat that was held over my head. If I was naughty during the summer, I was going to go to Uncle Adam's farm and at 18 years old, I met a little farm boy and that was history. I married him and now I'm on our fourth generation dairy farm. We're about an hour and some change west of the Twin Cities. Um, we milk Holstein cows on our farm. We sell our liquid milk for cheese and we're raising our first little cowgirl. So she'll be generation five on the farm. But beyond that, I teach farmers, ranchers, cowboys, their families, you know, everybody involved in agriculture, kind of how to fuel their bodies better so they can do their job, love it better, um, you know, have less bone and joint pain, less alcohol dependency and various things like that. What an interesting combination, because typically when we think of farmers and ranchers, working with a dietitian is not something that we'd probably consider. So talk about how you, yeah, I mean, you have a passion, obviously, being on a fourth generation operation, but talk to me a little bit how you kind of got your foot in the door to work with people, specifically people in production agriculture. Yeah. I mean, that's a good question. I mean, I've been full-time in my private practice since my daughter was a month old. So about December, but beyond that, I was just, you know, part-time kind of sporadic. I would take a lot of the farmer and rancher wives as clients. And it was just so fun and fulfilling. So I like to tell people I kind of accidentally ended up in agriculture, to be honest, both like physically and professionally. So I feel like, you know, I was kind of given a foot up being that I married a dairy farmer and I got in with some of our um, organizations like Midwest Dairy, who is our overarching agency from Minnesota down to the east side of Oklahoma. And from there, I feel like my passion grew, you know, there's no, you can't go to school and get an education in how to specifically fuel farmers. So my master's degree is actually in exercise science and sports nutrition. So I thought I was going to be a dietitian who worked with collegiate or professional baseball players. That actually is my professional history before my private practice. Um, But it just was something that I saw such a need for because of my husband's poor nutrition. And I just, you know, I do as much research as I can and dig through things that feel relevant for us. And a lot of it is kind of, um, you know, things that I've picked up on or trialed and errored with some of my previous clients that have been really successful. So kind of an accident, I guess that's my answer. I think it's funny when we think about food in agriculture and the way we're fueling our bodies, because to be honest, it wasn't something that we were certainly taught growing up, right? No one ever said you should eat more protein. It was sort of just like we ate what we could eat and then we went 
back outside. And I know as someone who grew up in production agriculture that my relationship with food has always been really challenging. It's almost like I never knew exactly what to eat or how much to eat or when to eat or what to eat. I mean, all of these things. And I can only imagine that being in production agriculture makes that even harder because of the schedule. Absolutely. Well, and you know, kind of some of the feedback I get from so many of my clients is it's so hard for them right off the bat. It sounds so easy and simplified when you put it into verbiage, but when they have to go execute, they're working through two, three, four, five decades of ingrained processes. You know, they went out to the pasture with three bottles of water and a ham sandwich with butter. And that was what they ate till they came home for supper. So, you know, it's working through how do we rehab some of these hunger fullness cues and get them more in tune with their body? And how do we teach them that? No, the cows actually can wait to eat until you get something in your body, because generally it's far safer for us to go to the barn or the pasture or wherever we're going with food in our gut and digestion started and a clear mental status because we ate something than it is to show up fasted and, you know, risk lack of decision-making skills or poor coordination and balance. I mean, those are all things that happen from being underfueled, underhydrated. And when you're working cattle or you're working livestock in general, that's just so unsafe. So yeah, lots of parameters with influencing intuitive eating and, um, you know, frequency of meals and just kind of changing the way our brain thinks about food in general. We used to think it was a flex to be able to not eat all day mm-hmm. and, you know, to be able to drive eight hours or something and not have to stop and use the bathroom. And and I think as a culture, one, we see a huge mental health epidemic in agriculture. And I think a lot of that is based on how we're fueling and caring for our body. So let's just kind of start at the basics. If you were to write, you know, a couple rules that it does not matter your situation, you should consider these. What? Where would we start? Oh, easy. So my analogy that I always give, it's like my coin term, your body is a gas tank. So you're sleeping, you know, hopefully it's not realistic. Hopefully 79, seven to nine hours of, you know, sleep per night. So you wake up, you're in a fasted state. You didn't drink anything. You didn't eat anything. Then we're pushing that gas tank, you know, an X amount of crazy hours for those of us who skip breakfast in agriculture. Truth be told, I want you having your largest, most colorful, abundant, protein rich meal first thing in the morning within 30 to 60 minutes of waking up. So what happens is you're coming off of that fasted state and your body, you know, is really just hungry and starving for the things that it needs, brain food, power, blood sugar management, all of these things. And when we give it what it needs and we allocated all of these resources, it kind of rewards us with things like better blood sugars, less fatigue and energy crashes throughout the day, fewer cravings. Weight loss becomes a lot easier when we start our day with a really beautiful, abundant, large breakfast. And usually, truthfully, when I work with men in agriculture, it's like a I don't really know how to describe it, but it's like a secondary secret that they divulge to me that, yes, they are looking for weight loss. And I'm like, first off, that's fine. Second off, you don't lose weight by just restricting yourself down to 400 calories a day. I mean, I have seen some insane, insane amounts of low caloric intake amongst these guys and gals who are just busting their butt and, you know, expending so much energy. So again, I think my first tip would be breakfast being your largest, most abundant meal of the day. I tell people two to three eggs per day, especially for women is something that I love to see because they're just so powerful and rich in micronutrients. Um, even better if you could do something like steak, eggs and orange juice. And then, you know, maybe we slip in some 
bread and jam. I mean, it doesn't have to be anything that's super hard. And I think that's sometimes why I get some men who are so hesitant to work with me because they think I'm going to be like, all right, we're going to start our day with a smoothie and then we're going to move to a salad. No, we want you guys to eat your meat and potatoes and green beans and butter and all of that stuff too. I'll never take it away. So point number one there, my second one is always, always, always hydration. We are so restricted as far as her, our hydration goes, especially in the summertime, we don't take into consideration, you know, if we're working cattle horseback, let's say we are sweating, we are working and that causes fluid losses. Every time you go to the bathroom, every time you have a cup of coffee, anytime you have caffeine in general, as a diuretic, you start to excrete more fluid. So now we have, you know, baseline fluid needs. But when we have something like caffeine, now we have to make up for that in a one-to-one ratio. If we have eight ounces or a cup of coffee, now we have eight extra ounces of water that we have to tack on each day, essentially that we are each um, serving of that. So um, hydration needs are really important. Again, I think in today's day and age too, when we do start focusing on water, we start focusing on, oh my gosh, well, I'm so hydrated. My pee is clear. Well, we don't necessarily want that either. So as a dietitian, my usual thing is if you look in the toilet or wherever you're peeing and it's clear or translucent, that should be your number one sign that you need some kind of electrolytes. I love to see people do body armor. Otherwise we can make our own if that's you know, something that we're kind of picky on, but those are for sure my like top two heavy hitters. And I think my third thing is just if you are, you know, hesitant or skeptical at all about your nutrition, or you have a poor relationship with food, reach out to a dietitian, not a nutritionist, a dietitian. Um, and we're here to help. I think, you know, you have to know the personality of the person that you're working with because you will get some dietitians who are like, Hey, guess what? You're going to do salads and smoothies, but you got to find the right one. That's like, no, you can have your butter and your steak and eggs, and we're going to make it all work for you. So those are, those are where I'm at. Are you trying to find the right planner to start the new year with? Look no further. We've created the Cattle Menu Planner for ranch wives, mothers, and daughters who are looking for the perfect place to capture all of their thoughts throughout the year. Our planner is the perfect guide to help you get your operation started. In the Cattle Menu Planner Paving Your Path, you will create the foundation for your operation, set goals, and learn how to implement them. We've included our customer favorite blank calendar pages so you can start when you're ready. Grab yours today at cattlemenulive.com backslash planner. One of my biggest hacks, and I always, people always laugh at me when I order it, is we tend to eat kind of like a brunch out often, just in our lifestyle. We'll work kettle in the morning, we'll go to the sale or something, you know, and on the way stop and I always order a veggie omelet mm-hmm. and then I add a meat to it. And people are always like, why would you do that? And I'm like, because none of the other omelets even have vegetables really in them. This is the only way to get a ton of vegetables with some meat. And it almost doesn't feel that like you're eating a salad, right. but it does have a lot of veggies in it. Mm-hmm. Heck yeah. I usually will say salads and smoothies truly are pretty simple ways for you to sneak in some fruits and vegetables in there. But again, if those are things that you don't like, we just work with kind of what works for you. One of, well, a lot of the listeners know, but my dad had throat cancer last summer. And so we spent the summer at MD Anderson. And when we first went in for his initial visit, they had said, you're going to be on a feeding tube. And my dad was like, absolutely not. (laughs) And I thought, okay, my goal 
is to keep this man off of a feeding tube. And my dad is a typical man in agriculture. He'll go three, four. He's drank two, three cups of coffee, nothing else, maybe some licorice, nothing else, you know, and then at night he has a big old steak and potatoes. So we are living in this little apartment in Texas, downtown Houston, kind of a rough area. And they told us that he needed to have like 120 grams of protein. And I'm like, a minimum of 120 grams. I'm like, oh boy, here we go. And it needs to be sort of soft food. So one of the things that we found is the Fairlife protein drinks. So they have 30 grams of protein in them. And I have transformed my dad from this rancher who never ate breakfast. I mean, unless we were out or something, you know, or someone cooked breakfast Christmas morning, but to he keeps those protein drinks in all his vehicles, everywhere. So he knows, and they actually taste really good, but so he knows that he can just grab that and have protein. And it's amazing what can be done as far as productivity, as far as emotional stability, as far as endurance, just tweaking that little thing. And I think sometimes we know we need to eat better, but we don't actually know what happens when we do eat better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and like I said, I mean, I came from, I interned with the Minnesota Twins for a while, the Minnesota Gophers football team, all of these different things. And what obviously, you know, you're working with professional athletes, collegiate level athletes that want to get to the pro level and all of these things. Um, I oversaw the minor leaguers for the Minnesota uh, Twins you know, minor league teams and those guys, you know, they'll do anything to get to the majors. So we focused on, you know, when you show up to the field and you're underfueled and you're underhydrated and those kinds of things, the first things that we see are lack of balance, coordination and decision-making skills. After that, we see things in like impairment and speed, strength and stamina, hand-eye coordination, all of those things start to decrease. Okay. Well, when you think about you're working with livestock, you're driving machinery, you know, maybe we got to outrun a bull or maybe we have to, you know, make a split decision on the highway when we're taking our machines out or whatever it is. Those are things that we really can't sacrifice. And when we think about our brain function and the brain fog that comes with being fasted or undernourished, the irritability, the mood swings, and all of those things, we're in a high stress environment 100% of the time in agriculture. And we really can't, again, sacrifice those things because we couldn't afford to sit down for five, 10 minutes and make ourselves oatmeal with, you know, berries and a large glass of milk and a couple eggs or whatever it was. So yeah, I mean, just the outcomes from eating something are better than eating nothing. Yeah, I love that. I never thought about stability. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, like I said, there's it when the way that or the approach, I guess, that I take when I work with farmers is I feel them like athletes. No, we're not professional. We're not collegiate level athletes, but we have higher needs, higher expenditure than most of the population. So why wouldn't we look at ourselves like just kind of a different variation of an athlete? We're going to look at our body like an athletic human. We have athletic needs and purposes, whether or not you want to admit you're agile or you're, you know, fast or whatever it is. We have needs that we've got to kind of enhance as far as nutrition goes. Yeah, of course. What are some of the hangups that you see or some of kind of the convenience issues that you see when working with farmers and ranchers in adjusting their diet and their hydration? You know, I think the biggest one is definitely going to be like distance and proximity to food. 
you know, if we don't have a grocery store that's nearby, I think, again, it's been beat into these farmers, ranchers and cowboys heads that if you're not getting fresh vegetables and fresh fruit, it's not worth it at all. So they just are like, well, screw it. I just won't have any. Well, did you know that when you do frozen fruit or vegetable, you're actually getting that, you know, item or that produce item um, frozen at its peak ripeness. So you're getting its highest, you know, po- most potent period of time as far as micronutrients go. So, you know, stock your freezers and your pantries with canned and fresh and frozen and whatever else works for you because it gets the job done too. So, you know, proximity and distance for sure. I think as far as hydration goes, like I said, there's lots of alcohol dependence. We work in, again, an environment where if you want to start drinking at 5 a.m., you're going to do it because A, you probably saw, you know, your grandpa, your grandma, whoever it was before you do it, and it trickled down through your family system. And maybe there's nobody there to stop you from doing it. So we have to make the decision you know, to work through, I work with a team of professionals when it comes to alcohol dependency, I can't do it alone as a dietitian. So we work through, you know, decreasing that level of consumption and replacing it with something else, whether or not truthfully, it's a Dr. Pepper, or it's a Mountain Dew or whatever, I would almost like to see that more than an alcoholic beverage, because we can start to then tweak it with flavored water or juice or various things like that. Again, like I said, I take a very different approach to nutrition than most dietitians do, because I think that most dietitians would be shocked to hear me say I would rather you replace beer or whiskey or whatever with a pop at 5 a.m. But if that's what we have to do, so we're in a better clarity state of mind, we're reducing inflammation in our body because alcohol is a pro-inflammatory. Technically, it's a toxin to our system. But if we can do that, we can start to make some nutrition tweaks. We have, you know, some farmers, ranchers, cowboys, their families, whoever it is that only want to drink milk. They only want to drink Gatorade. Okay, well, we can work with that and we can find other ways to substitute it. I had previously um, a farmer who literally, I'm not kidding when I tell you he was not drinking water. I don't actually know like how this man was surviving. And now he's up to 40 ounces per day. That sounds like nothing, but for him, that is the most large celebratory amount of water. And I'm just so proud of him. So again, I mean, it's a process. It's not a day and night thing. You just have to find what works for you. And that's kind of the part of me being here too. I think the coolest things about replacing habits is I I heard this on TikTok, I think, or Instagram recently, and it was something that I had never like acknowledged. I think I knew that it was required, but it was not something I had acknowledged. And they talked about when you want to remove something out of your life, you have to replace that habit with something. So they're like, you can't go from drinking coffee every morning to I'm not going to drink coffee and just completely in the relationship. They're like, if you want something warm, most people go to tea and then maybe we go to bone broth. And, you know, they're trying little ways to tweak it. But it was just something I thought about. Like if you're used to having a drink while you're driving um, in the field, checking cows or something, whether it be alcoholic or pop, and you want to curb that, you have to have something else there in order to do that. And so I think that just that little tip will make people, you kind of got to pay attention to the habits that you haven't really acknowledged are habits. Mm -hmm. And those are the ones typically that we like to, you know, we want to change, but you have to replace it with something. 
Exactly. Exactly. And like I said, I mean, it doesn't have to be cold turkey. We start with alcohol, we move to pot, we move to juice, then we get some water, whatever it is in. Chances are you're probably not having literally no water per day, but we're just going to take what you have. We're going to flip it. We're going to enhance it and amplify it. And we're going to work with what you have. You know, I don't expect a complete 180 of results in 24 hours or even a month or a year, depending on what you looked like before. But yeah, I mean, small changes add up to big results too. Let's talk a little bit about kind of fads in diet culture and in the food industry. What are some things that you are noticing that you like? And what are some things that you're noticing that are a little bit concerning? I think I definitely do like to see more of a focus on gut health. I think that that has been really fun and it's definitely opened my or opened, you know, people's eyes to the importance of it. However, I'm seeing a lot more like supplementations and green powder and all of these things that are saying like, oh, well, we're going to completely 180 your gut. Um, When it comes to gut health, I kind of take a three-step protocol with most of my people. And it's we start implementing foods that are rich in probiotics and fermentation. We focus on fiber secondary to that. And then obviously overall hydration, because all of those things build a beautiful environment in our gut. Then obviously we talk about things like um, optimally chewing your food and appropriate pacing of your meal. If you're eating too fast or too slow, chances are we're taking in too much oxygen or not enough. And both of those do not foster a good environment in our gut either or our relationship with food. If we're eating too quickly, we're not getting that gut brain connection to signal like, oh, no, you're good. We can stop or we're not you know, trusting our body to signal for hunger. So I think that is both something I like and dislike. But then secondarily, this isn't something that I'm super displeased with, I guess. But the the macro accounting movement that has been around for forever, you know, we've done it. I work with clients who want to do it. And by all means, we'll, we'll get it done and we'll do that. But for people in agriculture, counting macros truthfully isn't very realistic. And I think it sets a really unrealistic expectation because, not everybody wants to track or log every single thing that they put on their mouth in their mouth. Nobody wants to weigh their food, nor do we necessarily have time to do that. And it's not sustainable. Most of us in agriculture are very type A OCD personalities, whether or not we want to admit it. So sometimes that's enough to throw our entire day off if we're too low or we're too high or you know, that kind of thing. It fosters a very weird relationship with food in general, because if we are, you know, eating for macros rather than based off hunger, exercise, fullness, preferences, and intuitiveness, then, you know, kind of we're doing a disservice to our body. So it's not something that you're going to be doing when you're 80 years old, regardless of if you are or aren't doing it right now. But I just personally don't feel like it's super realistic for men or women in agriculture. Next week, we have something exciting coming to Cattlemen U. Many of you have asked for this. Make sure and listen to the ads next week to get first access to our new offer. I think counting macros is really hard. The The thing that's the easiest for me is figuring out protein mm-hmm. and trying to make sure that I get enough protein because I think majority of the world is not getting enough protein. Oh, 100%. I mean, when I talk with people too, I'll throw out some numbers that are going to be super, uh, like, I guess, just pointless for most people to know. But comparatively, that's my example that I'm trying to get at. So when you work with a nutritionist or a nutrition coach or a nutritionalist, which isn't actually a word, they're going to calculate your macros at 0.8 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight. So one kilogram is about 2.2 pounds. Irrelevant. You guys really don't need to know that. That is 
0.8 grams per kilogram of body weight that I just said is the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. So my overall arching agency that kind of regulates dietitians, it's their baseline recommendation that they have put out to people. So most people who don't have a relationship with the Academy, they don't understand that that example, that range was given to prevent malnourishment, was not given to support optimal muscle growth or, you know, overall satiety, that sensation of fullness or satisfaction. It was literally bare minimum meant to keep you out of malnourishment. So most men and women, again, when you guys have to think if we're working hard and we're expending serious energy, we're working our bones and our joints and we are, you know, coming off of a day and we're sore, we have now broke down and shredded some of those muscles, right? So we have to shred muscles before we build them back up. If we're too low on protein, those muscles aren't getting what they need in order to rebuild, repair, regenerate. And then also protein has a mild immunological benefit. So if we're too low on protein, you know, again, it's not the end of the world when it comes to immunity, but it does make a very small difference in preventing illness, some disease, I guess I could say. Um, but again, we don't in agriculture, we don't have time for sickness. So doing everything we can in our power to prevent that is really important. Okay, let's talk a little bit about water. Mm-hmm. I think this is really challenging because it's hard to keep water on you all the time. And I also hear a lot of times, I don't really love the flavor of water. You know, I get a little bored or can only drink cold water, or I only like my water room temp. And one of the unique things that I'm really noticing is my dad does not have a water bottle. Like if I want him to have a water bottle, I probably carried it with us. And it's, I think it's just a generational thing. But I noticed like with my niece and nephew, they carry a water bottle everywhere, which I did not do as a kid. I mean, I was drinking out of the drinking fountains, right? And so it does seem like we are changing the scenario for the next generation. But I think water and hydration is really challenging just to get enough water in your body at all times. So Do you have any hacks, any ways that you've kind of figured out how to help someone consume more water? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think it's, again, it's another X amount of step process, but one, you have to decide for you, like, do you like your water room temp, cold, a little bit warm? You know, we start there. Where do you like your water from? I am so picky about water. And if you disagree that all water has different tastes, you're wrong. Um, But I can only have it literally out of a hose the well in my backyard, the well in my grandma's yard. Other than that, I am so picky about it. So I carry around massive hydro jugs, gallon jugs of water for traveling, various things like that. Obviously, if we have an affinity for a certain temperature of water, that becomes more challenging. But if we could do, you know, spend the money on an insulated canteen or hydro jug, Yeti, whatever we have to do and we have water in the cab of our, you know, most used tractor, in our vehicle, in the ranger, in the barn, wherever it is, that sets sets us up for more success also. If you're somebody who can, you know, keep or enjoy water bottles, like plastic water bottles, literally spread them across the farm, the ranch, in vehicles, in any machinery, so on and so forth, because the more you see it, the more you crave it. Now, again, my minor is psychology with an emphasis on the psychology of eating. So I also work with people on what's called motivational interviewing. So in that it's working through the stages of change, how or when will you be ready to change? And what can I do to assist you in doing that? That being said, we work with people to, or I guess I work with people to kind of 
you know, find a way that we can change or make water more enjoyable? Do we have to put things like Mio in it, Crystal Light? Do we have to do a body armor or a make your own electrolyte beverage? You know, something like that. Because again, something is better than nothing. Sure, I can talk all day long about how I don't love Red Dye 40 and I don't love to see us have things like sucralose because sometimes they can lead to diarrhea. And that's not always fun for us when we're, you know, again, working with livestock, but something is always, always, always going to be better than nothing. And if we're showing up dehydrated, like I said, balance, strength, speed, coordination, hand-eye, decision-making skills, all of those things are at risk. And that's not something that we can really risk in agriculture. What do you think about liquid IV? Okay. This is a good one. So I have a lot of people who are really shocked when I say this. So an optimal range of sodium that we like to keep people below is 2,300 milligrams per day. One packet of liquid IV is a thousand milligrams of sodium. So chances are they have done a beautiful job of advertising to the wrong population. Unless you are like a marathoner or above you, that is way too much sodium for you in one sitting. So if you love the taste of liquid IV, break it up into three or four servings. Uh, you know, of course, still have it. Just be cognizant. You know, if you're noticing any fluid or tension, inflammation of your, you know, your digits, your fingers, your toes, your neck, um, and those kinds of things, then chances are we're doing overdoing it a little bit on sodium. That's interesting because I actually don't like the taste of it when it's one to one, like it's recommended. The only way I can have it is if I have my huge water bottle. So it's like you know, three water bottles. And if I pour it in there and then it kind of dilutes it, that's Mm -hmm. the only way. And I can, I use it pretty much like in a pinch. Like Mm -hmm. if I'm outside, I know all day and it's going to be hot and I'm really going to, you know, need to replenish. But they have marketed really well, especially it seems like to agriculture. I don't know if that's their goal, but I have noticed that agriculture is being targeted very Mm -hmm. well by that company. And it's just really interesting to me because it almost seems like a, a fix, a quick fix, like, oh, just put this in your water and you'll be good. It will, you know, increase your hydration by two times or whatever. And it's interesting, the marketing, which food marketing, we could have a whole year podcast on food marketing. Caroline, Big Sky Caroline does a great podcast and she talks a lot about kind of food marketing, but it's just really interesting how you have to, like, you have to work with someone like you to really be able to ask those questions and to to kind of dive because every single person, every family situation is going to be different. And I think in agriculture in particular, when you're working 16, 20 hour days, you're getting up in the middle of the night, like your requirements are so different that it's not like this one size fits all. And I think the diet world, the food world likes to tell us that it's a one size fits all eat three meals a day, eat this many calories. Like mm-hmm. we really try to put it in this little box and in agriculture, we just can't fit in there. No. And like you said, I mean, every day is different in agriculture, every family, every, you know, when I talk or when I work with people on their nutrition, I'm like, you know, social media tells us all it is is calories in or less than calories out. That's how you get weight loss. Well, they're not taking into consideration genetics, medical history, family history, environment, age, exercise, occupation, all of these things. Stress is another big one. Sleep, hydration. I mean, there's so much that goes into just nourishing your body. And, you know, again, like you said, some days we're working 20 hours up here in the winter when it's Minnesota, sometimes we're only working eight, 10, you know, still more than the average person, but less, far less hours when it's 
cold out. However, we're still going into a barn. Let's say you're milking cows. We're still going into a barn where maybe we're shivering for a little bit. Maybe we're sweating while we're cold and we don't truthfully know how much calories, how much hydration we are sweating out or omitting and expending at that moment. That makes calorie counting, macro counting in general, really hard. Needs need to shift day to day. Calories need to shift day to day. So that's why I work with people. You know, if you're having a craving for chocolate, let's say, this is always my explanation that I give. If you're a woman and you are on your period or it's the week before and you're craving chocolate, okay, that's a biological signal that your body is low on magnesium. It is not something that, you know, like in middle school when we are teasing people about it, it's not like that. It's literally a biological response. When you are, you know, the week before your cycle and you're craving more carbohydrates, your body's hormones are at the highest that they will ever be in that month cycle. So it needs more calories, more carbohydrates, more simple energy that it can kind of, you know, take in in order to fuel itself and do what it needs to do when it comes to hormonal increases or fluctuations. So again, that intuitiveness needs to be found. And when we have gone, like I said, two to six decades of ignoring that hunger fullness cues, it needs some serious reparation and rehabilitation in order for us to kind of find that again. When we have the first signal of hunger, we want to do our best to act on that because the more we ignore it, the more we shut it down, the more we're telling our body that if you keep signaling to me, I'm just going to keep ignoring you. So what's the point? Gosh, this has been so helpful. I've (laughs) loved this conversation. And I think it's something we all just need to be aware of. And to be honest, it's a culture shift in agriculture to have someone to help you figure out the right eating, the right hydration, kind of the right formula to make you run at 100%. And, you know, I know it, it kind of seems out of the realm, right? I know the first time my dad had to meet with a nutritionist at the cancer center, he was like, what is she going to tell me to not eat meat? And I was like, no, no, no. I'll be very clear. Like we're ranchers. We're not cutting the beef out. We'll do whatever, you know, other things she suggests. But I just really think having someone like you on the team is so helpful. And I also think that it gives us the opportunity to change the game for the next generation, which is so valuable to people in agriculture. Like let's set them up differently than we were set up and teach them different habits so that we can make sure we have another generation to come back. So let's get into the rapid fire questions. Let's go. Um, okay. Favorite cut of steak and how do you like it? Oh gosh, honestly, I'll be super bland and I'll tell you, I love a New York strip steak. However, my big thing right now has been bourbon steak sauce. So you make your own and it's like, brown sugar. This is a rapid fire because I just keep talking. Brown sugar, soy sauce, Worcestershire. Oh gosh. A few other things. Heavy cream. Oh, it's so good. Oh yeah. That sounds delicious. Okay. What is an ag industry topic that you think needs talked about more often in the media? You know, I still think I'm going to say mental health. It's talked about quite a bit, but I don't think it's talked about efficiently. Great. Um, What is the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Mm, don't take life too seriously. Okay, perfect. And this is a really fun one. If you could, if money wasn't an object, what is your non-career dream job? Oh my gosh, that is so hard. Non-career dream job. Well, my gosh, I feel like this is so relevant. I would love to have an on-site creamery where I glass bottle milk and distribute it to my community. I feel like that's still relevant though. (laughs) That's a dream though. That would be so, so fun. Okay. I love that. So that was a great answer. (laughs) We will, um, 
be sure to put all of your social media handles and everything in the show notes. I know you have a lot going on over on your platform. And so we'll share that with our audience. And I just really appreciate your time today. This was great information. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you. I'm so you know hopeful that this reaches exactly who it needs to reach and that somebody finds something that they can take away from it. So I appreciate you being that bridge for us. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to the Cattleman U podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. We are thankful to have you in your community. Like always, remember the grass is greener where you water it.